This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I want to go right to the Word, and we're going to just continue on our thought from last week and the week before and right through. We're simply talking about what it means to uh, be a follower. Uh, we started weeks ago talking about you know, the whole Twitter thing and how people follow, how surface that is, that you can have hundreds of people don't know you that follow you. Uh, but Jesus is not the same. He's not the same when it comes to follow and being a follower and being a believer. And a lot of Christian words we use in our culture that have a lack of meaning, a lack of depth. We, we use the word Christian sometimes, and it really doesn't match what we're using it for. Uh, we use the word disciple sometimes, but it doesn't match what Jesus meant. We use the word follower. Follower doesn't match what Jesus meant. If you roll it right back to the time of Christ and the writing of the Gospels, you kind of get an idea what he did mean when he said, follow me. And we've learned some things about that. Here's my definition of follower. A person who knows, loves, and serves Jesus. Well, that's uh, pretty basic, kind of. As the supreme passion of life. That's not so basic because that gives us a lot of room to think about our passions for life. Is Jesus your supreme passion? Maybe, maybe not. Everything else comes second. Would you say the word second? second. We're talking about that word actually today, what it means to live as a second. What does it mean to actually put yourself as the second person in everything instead of the first? Well, the journeys involve five groups of people. Admirers, inquirers, responders, followers, and reproducers. Admirers, nothing wrong with any group, by the way. And they're all in the Gospels. These are categorizing different groups of people. Nothing wrong with a person saying, wow, Jesus is amazing. Nothing wrong with that. There's certainly nothing wrong with the person saying, I'd like to know more. I have a few questions could you answer that? Jesus never turned those people away. He answered their question. Nothing wrong with being a person who was on the journey of understanding Christ and say, I have some questions. Well, let's answer those questions if we can. There's certainly something right about a person who responds, a person who actually says, I want to go a little further. I actually want to hang out a little more with you. And Jesus had hundreds of disciples that did this besides the 12. And so a responder is a person that begins to ask that question of, what more does God want to do in my life? That's a pretty uh, important and makes you a vulnerable person. If you say, all right, what more would God want to do in my life? Whatever that is, I'm in. That's a pretty big step if you're serious about that, to actually say, what is it you want to do in me? God says, well, I do have a few things. You sure you don't mind? I don't mind. Whatever it takes. Well, it's not minor. It's not going to be a minor renovation. Just paint the walls. It's going to be some wall tear out, maybe some uh, refoundationing. And, uh, you know, this is going to be an extreme makeover. Are you ready for an extreme makeover? No, I was thinking more just uh, about maybe painting the house and, you know, a new picket fence or something. Might even 
plant some flowers, but I'm not thinking about an extreme makeover. You're talking about everybody coming in and making all kinds of mess. That's what Jesus does when he moves in. Jesus does extreme makeovers. He doesn't just do minor remodels. He doesn't just want to patch up your personality. He doesn't just want to make you feel a little better. He doesn't want to just take care of this one area that would make you go, okay, I can handle life now. He would like to do an extreme makeover beginning with your heart and out from there comes all of life. He says, I'm going to remake you into the person I know you'll be happy with, but you have to trust me. Well, that's what responding means. You, you ask that very important question, what more does God want to do in my life? All right, a follower. Here's what we mean. Those who have decided, and, and following in the scripture is when a person makes a choice. Jesus never pressures you into being a follower. It's always opportunity, options. Here it is. Here's the way. Here's the path. You choose. You open the door. You open the gate. You come through. You make it. It's your choice. No one's going to force you to become a follower. Decide to devote all of life to Jesus. To live like Jesus. Love and serve like Jesus. There was a time in my life when I made that kind of decision. I know when I made that decision. This is not one of those things where you would go, I don't know if I've done that. It's not one of those. It's not one of those. It's like saying to someone, are you married or not? I think I am. <laughs> well, you think you're, I, I'm pretty, yeah, I think I am. It's, it's that kind of a question. Have you turned your life to Christ? Well, you know, I, I think so. I, I think at one point, it, it, no, then you have not. It's that clear. You have to be able to say in yourself, event, time, and pivotal point of turning your life over, that there was a time that you said, absolutely, I gave up the throne of my life to Christ. Absolutely. I know when it happened. I did it. It was a choice. And from that moment on, everything has changed. It's that clear. Well, are you saved? Well, I think I'm saved. I went to church all my life. Are you going to heaven? Well, you know, I'm pretty sure. It's something you might want to be more than pretty sure about. Well, you know, I really, I really do understand. You know, my mom was a Bible person or my grandpa or, you know, I had a friend. None of that really has anything to do with what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a personal, absolute, life change when you make a choice to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and be involved with Jesus. It is a life change. Like walking the aisle and saying the vows, I got married. It was the day. I can tell you when it happened. An anniversary is coming up. Do you have a born-again anniversary date? Do you have a born-again anniversary time? Do you celebrate what Christ did in your life? It should be that clear for every one of us that something has changed. The problem with America is we have a huge blur about what it means to know Christ. We think it might be church, I go to church, or, well, you know, I do believe, I mean, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. That's all you're supposed to do. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but I, I, better, I better tell you sooner than later, it says in the Bible, the devils believe and tremble. So believism is not bornism. It's not the same. And you might want to be shocked with me, 
But it's better that I shock you than you die and face something else that shocks you and someone says, well, you know, you, you never were born again. Oh, yeah, I believe. Well, everybody has a way of believing something, but you never really were converted in your heart. That would be a sad day. Sad day. Now, if I would have died before I was born again, I was in church my whole life, but I wasn't born again. Absolutely was not born again. Knew about God, read the Bible, all that stuff, but I was not a converted, believing disciple and follower of Christ. I was not. Now, if you would ask me what I believed, I could tell you, John 3, 16. I could quote it. But it was just a mental ascent to knowledge and information that had no power to transform my life. It was just information. America is huge on information, small on transformation. It's all what we know. It's not who we are. Well, I want to just make sure you know who you are. And, of course, I'd like to see you become a follower. Love, serve, know Jesus. All right, from follower to disciple. Now, in the scripture, the two are almost synonymous, but I'm using it just to help you kind of transition with my thinking. If you decide to say, okay, I will follow you, Jesus, and that decision is deeper than an admirer and acquirer, even just a first responder. If you decide, this is what would happen. Your entire life is reoriented. A reorientation as you put Christ at the center. Everything changes. I, I don't know how more simply to say everything changes. If Jesus would come to you and say, I'm going to do something uh, in 24 hours with you, if you don't mind, would you let me do this? And you might say, okay, uh, what, what would that be, Jesus? I want to be you for 24 hours. What do you mean? I'm going to be you. I want you to keep the same schedule, everything you do, but I'm going to live in you and be you for 24 hours. I'm going to show you what I would be in your world if I was you. My attitude, my actions, the way I would treat my spouse, my children, my workers, my life, my attitude, my vocabulary, my speech. I'm going to show you what I would do if I was you for 24 hours. Every place you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to just do exactly what you do every day, but I'm going to be you. What would it look like? What would it look like if Jesus was you for one day? How you would think, how you would feel, your passions, your hurt, your burden, your Speech, I mean, just start thinking about it. I tried to put myself there and I tried to just go through that and it would change my day. It would change me. Why? Because the center of me is not mixed with a little of me and a little of Jesus and a little of something else and mixed together and sometimes it's me responding, sometimes it's my old nature responded. Sometimes it's a mixed old and new, and sometimes it's a, someone else in there with me, and, and I respond so, you, you might not even know how I will respond, because I do it so differently every time. Jesus says, you know, I, I want to show you what it might look like. 
What is the goal of Christ coming into our life that we might be like him? Simple, but so complex. That we would actually become like Jesus, Christ-like, Christian. The problem with America is they can't really discern who is that person. Because there's not a lot of difference between you and the Buddhist or the atheist or anyone else that is sitting there or the person who just has a mixed bag of beliefs and says, I don't know, you know, you just live what you... And you're amongst them, and then you speak up and say, well, I'm a Christian. Say, wow, really, what's that all about? They have no idea you're different. No idea. Jesus says, Matthew 6, 33, if you have a Bible, circle this. This is my text. Matthew 6, 33. You've heard it, but I hope I can unpack it in a way that you'll hear it different. Matthew 6, 33. Set your heart first. I just want you to notice this word first. Set your heart first on his kingdom and his goodness. And then all these things will come to you as a matter of course. All the things are verse 32, verse 31. You start reading up, you'll find out what he's talking about here. But put God's kingdom first. Do what he wants you to do. Then all those things will also be given to you. But you have to know what first is. You have to understand what kingdom is. He says, if you can let that be center, let that be first. If I can live through you in a first way and you become second, you become second. Second, not first. The first response, the first principle, the first passion, the the first behavior, the first choice is a Jesus choice, not you. You're second. Everything about what you do Where you go, what you say, everything about your life, what you wear, what you do for work, what you do for... Everything becomes first through Jesus' eyes and second through yours. You're a second. In our particular culture, being second is extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. Why? We like control. We don't like surprises. And we're not sure we want him to be first when it comes to who I date, who I marry, who I divorce. We don't want him first in that. Where I work, how I work, when I work. What I look at, how I look at it, when I look at it, how much I look at it. What I recreate, when I recreate, any kind of recreation. I don't want him to be first in that. I want to choose myself. I want my own life to be the way I want it to live. And if I can fit Jesus into that, I'll be okay. I'll serve your Jesus. I'll go to your church. I'll, I'll give a few shekels once in a while. I might even give, you know, something toward missions and whatever. And, and I might even help serve somewhere. But I, I just want you to know, I'm going to fit him in. He's not going to fit me in. I want to maintain a little 
control. Amen, Frank. <laughs> now, besides me, does anyone else have a problem with some of the things I'm talking about? We all do. And if you don't try to solve this, you'll be double-minded, double-lived, double-cultured. You'll be squeezed into someone else's mode all the time. When Gandhi asked, when he was given one of his speeches, I know he had a different belief system, but I marvel at the man. I marvel at the man. He says, if you want to know who the Christians are, don't go to the church to find them. Ask the poor who the Christians are. They'll tell you. Whoa. Cut to the chase. Cut to the chase. He understood if they're living like Jesus, they'll take care of the poor. Do you want to know who the Christians are? Ask the poor. And they'll tell you. Well, for us to live this out is a challenge. Here's another guy whose belief system was a little different than mine, but his knowledge of certain things was certainly surpassing and this one phrase he used, Stephen Covey, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Yep. <laughs> yep, that just about says it right. Now, the key to that is I might need to know what the main thing is. <laughs> if I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing and make sure it stays the main thing, by the way, ask yourself, what is the main thing? Retire? Collect? Home? Goods? Materials? Success? Climb the ladder? Nothing wrong with the things I just said, but is that the main thing? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that's the main thing. Well, the main thing is, well, what is the main thing? For you, what would you hinge everything on and say this is the main thing in my life. And out of that main thing, life is lived. Well, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. The main thing is in Matthew 6.33 pretty clear that there's a first in life. The word seek and the word first. Here's the word seek. He says, I want you to seek first. Okay, the word seek is to discover, endeavor, to obtain. Now, this is what I'm needing to do with my life. I need to endeavor, to obtain, to reach, pursue, aim, be persistent, strenuous effort. This is not an easy thing. It's going to take me some effort to make the main thing the main thing, seek first the kingdom of God, realign my life, reorientate myself, put Jesus at the center. We're talking extreme makeover. That's why it's difficult. It's an extreme, radical decision to live like a Christian. Not live like a church person, to live like a Christian. The two are not synonymous. To live like a Jesus believer.
a Jesus person. First, this is what I need to do with Jesus and the kingdom, foremost in place, rank, value. Okay, I got it. The starting place. The place of new departure, it's, it's the starting place. Whatever I do, the starting place is Jesus. The, the starting place. The starting place of the decision. Does this please God? Well, if it's an easy no, don't do it. Don't even get complex. Is it the will of God? Is God leading? Just ask the simple question. Does it please God? Does it bring glory to God? Would Jesus do this? That would stop 80% of most things. Would Jesus do this? I don't think so. Well, why don't you just kind of take that as a cue and say, maybe I shouldn't. Would Jesus talk about that person the way you're talking? No. Well, hello. Zip it up, shut it up, eat some soap, do something different, don't keep talking. Here's my question. It's simple. What does it mean to put Jesus first and live as the second. Now, if you would write that down in your Bible, on your hand, put it on the dashboard, put it in the restroom, put it everywhere you go, uh, somehow maybe do devotions around it, somehow write your own journal on that question right there. Just write your own answers. Try it. Try it. What does it mean for me to put Jesus first and live as the second. What would that do to your marriage? Would Jesus treat your wife the way you're treating her? Well, he's not married to her, thank God. <laughs> that could be a problem right there. He is married to her because he's in you. How you treat your husband, how you treat your children... How you communicate with your parents. How you talk about your boss. How, I mean, it, how to that we could go through every arena of life and simply ask the question, what does it mean to put Jesus first, the starting point, the value, the rank? Everything starts with that response, what Jesus, and then everything else grows from there. Wow, I might have to do some changing. For those who use Facebook, I have a Facebook, I have Twitter, I do social media because I try to talk to as many people as I can. I pose that question, what would it be like to put Jesus first in your life and ask people just weigh in? And so I had several dozens of people just weigh in and write their own explanation. Some of you might have done it. Some of you on different campuses might have been the people that weighed in and there were people from all over, people from Australia, Japan, people from all over the world weighed in on this question. It was quite interesting. Let me read you some of them. These are from just normal, everyday, not rabbis, they're not professors, these are not pastors, these are just everyday people. 
This is what they said. No one and nothing comes or goes before my God, before my Jesus. Everything I say and do is for him. Every breath that I take is because of him, and I owe it all to him. I have put my entire past behind me to see the glory of God in me. What a beautiful sight it is. I would do it a million times over again if that is what I had to do. Another one. First, you want to know what it means to put Jesus first? First is first. Head, master, Lord, to come before all others. The highest ranking, the best friend. Another. Putting Jesus first is doing what he says to do above what we want to do. For example, forgiving others because he says to forgive. Another. Let the first words out of my mouth in the morning be speaking to him. Then consider him in all I do and say for the rest of the day and the end my day telling him thanks for the day he gave me, putting him first all day. To do everything you do with him in mind. One just said, obey him. Another one, consider him in my decision making before I make those decisions. I think putting Jesus first means seeing his heart for you and the world in both easy and difficult life situations. So if I'm having a great day, that he is totally for me, having freedom in moments of beauty and grace, or if I'm suffering, being hard on myself, that is remembering his finished work on the cross and the fact that he does not condemn me and that he is my biggest advocate when I feel frightened by my fellow human beings and the difficulties in life. That's what it means to put him first. One person said, a challenge, but so rewarding when you get it right. Putting Jesus first would, would mean what to you and I? Well, let's take it one step further. Let me give you, whether I get to them or not, you know, I'm going to give you eight simple, absolute, reflecting points that you could ask yourself. If I was seeking first as the second, making Jesus real, living out Matthew 6.33, being a follower by grace. Now, you can't do it on your own. Obviously, I could go off for a long time for several messages about grace and power in grace and the beauty of grace and how God's into your heart and works all things together for your good. And, and it's even grace that gives you the power to decide and grace that gives you the power to do. It's all by grace. There's no doubt about it. You need Jesus' grace to do this. But you need to call on that grace to get it done. If you were going to uh, call on the grace of Jesus and Make this very real for your life. Here's some things you might do to put him first. One, to seek first is to place Jesus on the highest place in your life. Philippians 2.9, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. If I'm going to exalt him to the highest place, which he already is and should be honored in my life, it's a Mark 12.30 prayer. It's a Mark 12.30 prayer. And you shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Jesus says in Mark 12, 30, this is the first commandment. Now, he's quoting Old Testament. That would be a sermon in itself also to take the Old Testament scripture and why Jesus added something to it. People quote this all the time, but they don't quote what Jesus did to change the Old Testament scripture. He added some words to make it new covenant. He says, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment. Putting Jesus on the highest place. Now, in the Old Testament, let me just take this apart for a second. High places. High places. High places in the Old Testament is a whole theme of scriptures and events. Matter of fact, of the 19 kings of Judah and the 19 kings of Israel, 19 kings of Israel, the nation was split into Judah and Israel, 19 kings of Israel, all were bad, every single one of them. Every single king was evil. And that's where most of the prophets are prophesying to those evil kings. And then you have the 19 kings of Judah because the two houses are running parallel after the split, after David, after Solomon, after the split of the kingdom. And the 19 kings of Judah, only eight, eight of the 19 were good. The rest of them were evil. So out of 38 kings, only eight of them were people that really had a passion for God and did something good in the entire 2,800 years that they were together. The eight kings that were good all had one thing in common. Well, they had several, but with my point, the one thing they had in common was this. Every single one of them, as soon as they came to rule, whether it was Joash or Josiah or Hezekiah, any one of those kings, as soon as they took the throne, the very first thing they did is they went and tore down the high places. Why? Because at the high place, the mountaintops, were the gods that they were serving, the gods of immorality, the gods of euthanasia, the gods of you know, killing the babies, the God that's all sacrificed. I mean, there was a lot of wicked stuff done in the high places. And that's the gods they were loyal to and they would go and sacrifice to. They were a backslid nation. The very first thing they would do is they would go and tear down the high places, rip down all the altars and build one altar to God. Now, let me just take it personally. In your life, you have high points, high places, places of loyalty, places of habit. Philosophically, uh, they could be spiritual, they can be emotional, but they're high places in your life. They're places that draw you in. They're places that dictate how you live. They're places that allow your habits to be the habits you have, but maybe you should not have. They're the high places of your life. Tear them down. Go into your life and tear them down. And build one altar, and that altar is called an altar to Jesus. And he's the highest place in my life. He takes dominion. He takes preeminence. Everything comes under him. And everything else has to bow and submit. Number two, the second thing you do, seek to remove all the clutter 
in your life. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Romans 12, removing the clutter has something to do with you offering your entire life and then taking those things that clutter your life. We all have some clutter. Remove it. Remove it. A.W. Tozer, one of the great writers of the past, he prayed this prayer, and I thought it was just so right for this point. He says, Father, I want to know you, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. What a great prayer. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from you the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long, which have become a very part of my living self, so that you may enter and dwell there without rival. You make the place for your feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for yourself will be that light. There shall be no night in me. Wow. Clutter. You afraid to let go of it? Unnecessary things, habits, attitudes, stuff. He says, I, I'd pray that prayer, but I'm afraid that I might have to give up some of my toys. Maybe. Number three, to seek first is to become wholehearted on how you follow Jesus. In Joshua chapter 14, you have a great portion of scripture. You can read it on your own. On how Caleb became the wholehearted follower, how Caleb just, the whole point of Caleb was to let go of all the clutter, all the high places, and just wholly follow the Lord. But you got to let go sometimes. There's a true story about how some scientists in Africa were trying to capture certain kind of monkeys. They were too fast, too much into their own monkey community, the way they did their trees, the way they did everything. They could not find a way without harming them to capture these monkeys. So one of the young scientists says, I have an idea. He gave them the idea, and they said, let's try it. What it was was a jar with a long neck on it, and they put into the jar nuts that the monkeys loved to eat. They took and chained the jar to a stake in the ground and left the nuts in the jar so that when the monkey would come to get the nuts, the monkey would have to reach the hand in, grab the nuts, and then pull your hand out. But because your hand was doubled, it couldn't come back through the neck of the bottle. All you had to do was let go, get your hand out, but the monkeys would not let go. And so they came back, and sure enough, every single jar had a monkey and not one monkey would let go of the jar. So they simply went over to the jar, tied up their monkey, and walked off with the monkey, and the monkey st- 
still would not let go of what was in the jar. All they had to do was let it go and go their way, but I have it, I'm not letting it go. Anybody here identify with monkeys? <laughs> you know, we get it, and God says, just let it go. No, just let it go. I'm afraid if I let it go, I'll never have another relationship, and I'm not letting this one go. It's not for you. Let it go. We're afraid. Well, when Jesus becomes first, you wholeheartedly follow. Let it go. Number four, to seek first is to follow and honor Jesus in everything you do. I've mentioned that. Thomas Kempis, he's a German mystic, but still he had some good stuff to say. Whoever would fully and feelingly understand the words of Christ must endeavor to conform his life wholly to the life of Christ in everyday things. To honor Jesus in everything I do. It's just that simple. Five, to seek first is to have an appetite for spiritual things. Do you, do you have an appetite ever to read the Bible? Ever? Ever? To pray? Do you have an appetite to ever help someone? Have an appetite to learn the voice of Jesus or to feel the Holy Spirit? Do you have a spiritual piece of you that's alive? If you don't have an appetite, it starts with this center message I'm giving you. Number six, to seek first is commune with God first every day. First thing you do. First thing you do. It's very simple. The very first thing you do is just do a simple prayer. I'm not talking about an hour of intense whatevers. I'm talking about you getting up and saying, today is your day, Jesus. Here I go. Help me. Guide me, lead me, be with me. It's just a simple prayer to say, Jesus, here I am. Appetite. Commune with God first. Number seven, seek first is to be ambitious for God's purposes, setting self aside. Get ambitious about serving Jesus, setting self aside, making time for doing what you know Jesus might do. You know, one of the, the greatest healing powers in a human life is to serve someone else. How do you know when you're healed? When you begin to help someone else. How do you know healing is coming your way? When you have enough motor to actually go beyond your hurt and begin to serve. Ambitious about God's purposes, setting self aside. And number eight, when Jesus is first, you live as second. Can't forget that, can you? Living second is not easy. It'll take persistence and submission and a new habit, but you can create it. Coming next in line instead of first in line, putting Jesus first in my life. Jesus takes preeminence. I begin to follow him. Put him as the center, number one. Maybe you've never thought like that before. This might be a, 
a great message to kind of move your thinking to say, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I certainly should do it more than I'm doing. Well, then move it along. Make some steps. Change your life. Guarantee one thing. If you change your life to put Jesus as first, your life will be changed. I guarantee it. And I'll guarantee something else. Your life will be better. I'll guarantee something else. You'll be more fulfilled. I'll guarantee something else. At the end of life, you won't look back and say, what a bummer. What a waste. What a journey. If I had to do it over again, I don't know what I'd do, but life's not that great for me. You'll never, ever end your life with those words. Ever. Want to chance it? Try it. Put Jesus first. Start today. What do you have to lose? Your life. That's what you have to lose. When Jesus answered the question, they said, can, can we follow you? He said, sure. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Lose yourself. Find me. Oh, uh, how big is the cross? What's it mean, deny yourself? How much? How much self do I have to deny in order? And Jesus was pretty clear to actually say to them, you will never find life if you do it your way. That's what he's saying. Simple, you won't find it if you do it your own way. You do it my way, you find abundant life. Remember, every cross has a resurrection. And every deny yourself has a new self. It doesn't stop with those things. It starts 